At this time, we'll have a split sermon from Mr. Matthew Steele entitled, Picking Up the Mantle, Mr. Steele. Thank you, Reg. Good afternoon, everyone. It looks quite empty today. All of our young people off having fun, which is good. So the story of Elijah. Everybody knows the story of Elijah, don't we? It's a fascinating one. In many ways, it is, uh, I think, or could be described as the forerunner for all of our superhero characters that we, we have in our time today. You know, we've got our Supermans and our, um, oh, Doctor Strange is the one I was thinking of this morning because of, of Elijah and the story of his mantle. But, you know, he's an interesting guy. I don't know if you've ever thought of him as a superhero. Elijah the superhero. Well, let's think about that. Through the power that God gave him, he could divide rivers, right? He could divide rivers and walk across them. He could run faster than the chariot and its rider. That's pretty fast. There's an account of that in Kings. He could uh, call fire down from heaven and do that through a simple prayer of faith, couldn't he? After all of that water and all of that extra work that had gone into creating this, this sacrifice for God, and he could call fire to come down from God. And of course, he could, he could raise the dead. And he was also able to walk into the royal court and say, there's not going to be any more rain until I say so. And walk out. And I guess maybe some people may have laughed at him, but I don't know. I'm sure he had a reputation by this time as a bit of a superhero for his day. And I wonder if that court fell silent and watched him walk out after he had given that prediction. And not prediction, a fact. And of course, as we know, for three years, there was not a single drop of rain on the land of Israel. So maybe, you know, he could run fast, but maybe not as fast as a speeding bullet. But he could run faster than a chariot. He could control the weather, the rivers. And as we know, even a widow received her son back to life again. He was, in spite of what Captain America thinks, he was the first Avenger. Anybody that's really into superheroes will know what I mean. Brian knows what I mean back there. How would you like to replace this person? How would you like to have to come along and step into this person's role and what they did? All these amazing things that Elijah did, how would you like to have to pick up that mantle and fill his shoes? Would you want to do that? Would you want to pick up that mantle? What if tonight God came to you in a dream and said, I have called you for a purpose. I have called you out of this world 
and I am going to take you and make you work for me. And you are going to present my truth, my words, to kings and princes and nations and people. And you're going to fill this role. I have called you to pick up the mantle of Elijah. Who would do that? Who would accept that? If that were to happen to us, what would we do? Would we pick up that mantle? Would we accept the mission? Would you put on the mantle of Elijah? Well, as we know, there was a man who was presented with exactly that, right? There was a man called Elisha. And he was presented with this very circumstance. This very circumstance. He was working in a field when Elijah came up to him and did something that changed his life forever. And we can find that story in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 15. It says, Then the Lord said to him, Go, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, anoint Hazel, king over Syria, and you shall anoint Jehu, the son of uh, Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meholah, and you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from, from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, who was plowing with the twelve yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the twelfth. And then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please, let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will... I will, go, I will follow you. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them and boiled their flesh, using the oxen's equipment, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah, and became his servant. So how would he like that? Maybe God doesn't come to in a dream, Maybe some guy just comes walking into your house or your work or when you're out in the field or in, a, in the back, back garden, in the backyard. And he walks up to you and then he throws this cloak, this mantle on you and then walks away. Is this a crazy guy? Who is this? Throwing this gnarly old cloak over me. This kind of stinks. But of course, that's not exactly how it was for Elisha, right? Because Elijah was known. This wasn't been any other, any old chap that he didn't understand or know. This prophet was Elijah. His cloak, his mantle. It was a symbol of his power. A symbol of what he's done. A symbol of the work that he has done in Israel. He's a known entity. And he was not just a prophet of God. He was the prophet of God. And God had given him power to heal, power to kill, as we just read. And even Elisha, Elisha is going to now 
have that power. Power to bless and power to curse. This is the guy who had just released the rain on Israel. Obviously through God's power, but he had just prayed that prayer. And the clouds came from the sea and rolled in and watered that dry land. And in fact, that was probably the reason Elisha was out in the field, right? Because now they could plow. Now they could plant seed and grow food. So what would be your response? If this happened to you, if somebody came and, and, and Elisha came, Elijah came and put this mantle on you, what would be your response? Would you follow Elijah? Would you leave work or school or family? Leave your entire life? And in fact, take your entire life and burn it up. Burn up the instruments and the tools that you were using in that former life and move on to this new life. And not just follow him. Be trained and prepared to replace him. Would you do that? Well, maybe I ask it a different way. Have you ever replaced somebody in a, maybe a less auspicious role? So maybe, um, maybe you've had a boss that retired and you were promoted into that position. Or maybe you were hired into a new position in a company and you're replacing somebody that was there before. And if you've ever been in those kind of circumstances, people around you will tell you, well, so-and-so used to do it this way, right? And give you a little bit of a challenge. And you've got shoes to fill. And you've got standards to live up to. Maybe we've experienced that. Or maybe in family and friends. Maybe you and friends move away and you're now the leader of the group or the leader of your family when circumstances change. The roles that can come on us sometimes can seem too heavy and too big for us to handle. And yet in life that's what happens. So we take on the mantle, the responsibilities of a person who maybe defined that role and defined that position. That's an awesome undertaking, isn't it? That is an awesome undertaking. Taking on the role of the prophet, the prophet of God, of Elijah brings all this responsibility to a whole new level. Elisha answers and says, please, let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. And Elijah says something interesting, and I have not yet been able to work out what he really meant by this statement. He said, go back again, for what have I done to you? Now, this statement, I think, can be taken two ways, right? It can be, it could be, Oh, what am I thinking? Yeah, of course, you need to go and do that. Say goodbye to your family, and, and of course. Sorry, I was, wasn't thinking about that. Or, yeah, maybe you just need to go back to your family because you don't understand what I've called you to, what you've been called to by God. It's one or the other, isn't it? I, I, like I say, I, I don't know which, which side I really fall down on. But what it does remind me is a statement that Jesus made back in, in Luke. Because Jesus was 
inviting people to follow him, and then even others volunteering to follow him. And listen to what he says in Luke chapter 9 and verse 57. He says, now as it happened, as they journeyed on the road, that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said unto him, foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Are you sure? Are you sure you're up for the job of following me? Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go first, bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And that's, that's tough. What is he calling us to here? And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Jesus said unto him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. It's interesting, isn't it? That that last example has some of the same elements that we find in Elijah and Elisha's story. He was working the plow, wasn't he? And Jesus referenced working a plow. Elisha was working the plow when Elijah called him and essentially said, Follow me. And he also, Elisha also asked to say farewell to his family, just as this man had. Jesus' statement on the matter is clearer, isn't it, than what what Elijah said. He said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Why would you look back when you're plowing? You wouldn't, right? Because if you look back, you're going to see where you've been, but you won't see where you're going. And what's going to happen to that, to that plow, it's going to start going off course. And it's not going to make efficient use of the field. Right? And you're going to have all these wavy lines in your plowing. And so when you plow seed, when you put the seed into those ruts, it's not going to be as efficient. You're not going to be as fruitful, right? And that's such a lesson for life, isn't it? We spend a lot of time looking at the past, regrets of the past, wishing we could change the past, and we can't change a thing about the past. We can change what the future looks like. We can walk towards that future. Longing for the past will only distract us from walking toward that future. And so we come to this big moment for Elisha, a bittersweet moment when he will have to pick up, finally pick up the mantle of Elijah. We find that in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, and it come to pass that when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal, and then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But, you know, Elijah said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came to Elisha and said to them, do you not know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes. <laughs> I know. Keep, keep silent. And then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here. 
Please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. What is this? Why do you keep saying this? I'm sure it was probably running through his mind. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance. For while the two of them stood by the Jordan, now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, struck the water, and it was divided this way and that so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was. But when they had crossed over, that Elijah and Elisha, <clears throat> so when they had crossed over, that Elisha, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I may do for you before I am taken away from you. And Elisha said, please, let a double portion of your spirit be on me. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Almost, you don't know what you're asking for. You don't know what you're in for, for having asked that. Nevertheless, if you see me, what I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened, as they continued and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire, and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. And then he saw him no more. And none of us have ever had a promotion happen quite that dramatically, have we? Even if we've been promoted into a position into somebody that we, we worked under. But that was such a powerful moment. And leading up to it, what was with all these messages from the prophets and the sons of the prophets? You know what's coming. Do you know what's coming? Almost saying, are you ready? You better get ready. This is, this is about to happen. He took a hold of his own clothes, tore them into two pieces. He took, them up to, he took up the mantle of, of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the, of the Jordan. And then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. That is some job promotion right there. You know, we're really intrigued by these kinds of moments, I think, as a culture. We like the idea. And we're fascinated with the concept of passing on the mantle. You know, 
I was reminded uh, this morning of John F. Kennedy's speech regarding going to the moon, of course, 50-year anniversary today. But he also had in another speech that the torch had been passed, right? We like the notion that we can pass on from one generation to the next, from, from one individual to the next, from one leader to the next. And that's what's happening here. That new leaders, new warriors, and in this case, new prophets and priests arise to pick up the mantle. The continuity of things, the security in that, and I'm sure for all the priests of God and the prophets of God, there was relief that the role and the, the power and the position of Elijah was not going away. Because remember, it was Elijah and his work that restored a lot of the worship back to Israel, at least for a short period of time, of God. And so, there is this continuity and this power in this picking up the mantle. And in fact, I don't know if you realize, but the whole concept of picking up a mantle, picking up the mantle, wouldn't be in our language today if it wasn't for this story. This is exactly where we get it from. This is that story. Passing the mantle, picking it up, putting it on, and continuing the work. So again, I want to ask you a question about this mantle. Would you pick the mantle up? Would you pick it up? With all that it means, with all the weight of it. Let me ask the question a different way. Will you pick up this mantle? Will you pick it up? Will you step into the shoes of God's prophets? and apostles, and disciples, and continue the work that they have done. Because that's what we're called to do. This wasn't a one-time thing. We are called, Peter told us, didn't he, on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2.15. He said, these people out here are not drunk. It's the only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is Completion of prophecy here. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. New prophets. New speaking forth. New telling out. Crying out, if you will. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Sun shall be turned into darkness and moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So with Peter's confirmation, we can understand that what started on that great day of Pentecost continues. It continues. The mantle that each one of these men and women picked up that day, who were filled with the Holy Spirit, has been passed on to us. It's been passed on to us. What are we going to do with that mantle? 
Are we, are we going to pick it up? Are we going to put it on? Or are we going to leave it there? Are we going to go back to our lives, to our families, and, and all the things that are important, and to the world itself, with all of its distractions? We have not been called to do that. We've been called to pick up this mantle. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1, we find a man just like Elisha. And he picked up the mantle. He picked up the mantle of the spirit of Elijah. He was the fulfillment of the prophecy that Elijah would prepare the way for the Lord. And we know who this is. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judah, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Now John himself was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. They knew that this man, as strange as he was, eating insects and honey, was something special. That they could go to him and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. They're, con they're confessing their sins. And this is, of course, the preparation for those people to hear the word of Jesus himself. And Luke also, in chapter 1, verse 13, he reminds us, all the way back when John's father was told that John is coming. And this is the role that he's going to fill. It says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And that's so key. That is so key. I think oftentimes we, we overlook the importance of John's ministry to prepare the people that were then going to hear the words of Jesus. It was a vital role for him to fill. So John came in the spirit and the power of Elijah and even wore the clothing like him. The association was undeniable and people were drawn to it. They came to him. But what is interesting about this passage is that the prophecy of the one crying out in the wilderness was not completely accomplished by John. You realize that. It wasn't completely accomplished by John the Baptist. There's more yet to unfold. It's from Isaiah chapter 40, and verse, starting in verse 1. And we're familiar with this passage. Handel... Handel's Messiah has, has this in part of its uh, oratorio. It says, Comfort, 
Yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Has any of this happened yet? Has any of that happened yet? Not really. Israel is still in a lot of danger, isn't it? Israel is still surrounded by enemies. And we know from Revelation and from Daniel and other passages in Isaiah, there's more yet to come on Jerusalem and on Israel. So this is yet to be manifest. This is yet to come to pass. And then we read the context shifts a little bit. And we hear the words that Matthew quoted in regards to John the Baptist. He says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Again, has this happened? Has this part of his prophecy happened? Sort of. I mean, remember John said that we beheld his glory, right? Jesus' glory, God's glory. We beheld his glory as the only begotten Son of the Father. But that's about all. And to a small selection of people. Right here it says, the glory of the Lord will be revealed to all flesh. All flesh will see it. That hasn't happened. The mountains and the hills, the big powerful nations of the world have not been brought down. And the oppressed peoples in the valleys, they have not been brought up yet. Not at all. Small oppressed people are still oppressed in so many places around this world. And all flesh, as I said, have not yet seen the glory of the Lord. So, this is yet to happen. And then verse 6, it says, The voice said, Cry out. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass. All of its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young. What is he saying? What is this saying? Who's the voice? Who is preparing the way of the Lord? Because if John the Baptist, who is no longer with us, only did it in part, then... Somebody else needs to do it in whole. Who is making straight the paths 
about God. Who is preparing the people of the world to receive the words of Jesus Christ again? Who is doing that? Who should do that? Well, I humbly submit, it's you. It is the church. It is us. We have the good news, don't we? We have the good news, the good tidings. As it says in in verse 9, you who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. We have the good news. The good news that there is a new world coming, as I talked about last time. And that there's a new king coming. The arm of the Lord, he will rule and he will shepherd each and every one of us. And gather us as his lambs into his everlasting salvation. Could it be, brethren, that Elijah, the Elijah to come, this end time prophet that we see coming in the spirit and the power of Elijah, is not a single person at all. Or perhaps could be a church, a people of God, of whom God has poured out his spirit, who prophesy, who tell forth, who speak good news, glad tidings to the world that there is a new kingdom coming where every mountain will be brought down and every valley lifted up. Could it be that we are to pick up that mantle, the mantle of Elijah, and help prepare the way for the Lord? Could we be called to do exactly that? Now you might be thinking, well, wait a second. That's a big responsibility. That mantle is way too big for me. Put that on me and it's going to roll up several times on the ground. That's more responsibility than I could ever bear. And I could not measure up to Elijah or Elisha or John the Baptist. That's true. We cannot. But Jesus Christ can. Christ in us can. We just have to be willing to pick up the mantle. Be willing to do the work that he has called us to do. If you drop down to Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 28, it continues and concludes. He says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. He's able to bear that. And if he's in us, then we will neither faint or be weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. So, let's pick up the mantle.